one thing he said was he said, look at the side of your hand. And he said, you have a bone protruding out of the side of your hand. That's a sixth finger that's growing and that proves that evolution is true. And I remember I just snapped into it and was like, whoa, like if that was an accident, that lightning strike was an accident billions of years ago, then I'm an accident and I have no purpose whatsoever. And so I, that just changed my entire trajectory. I was like, you know what? I'm living for today. I don't have hope for tomorrow. I'm going to do what feels good in this moment. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hello, Altered Story Show listeners. This is your chief storyteller host, Michelle saunders Gutch, and welcome to my season two, 103rd episode, Angela's Not Just Sells God's Story. And friends, I hope all is well and you're enjoying your April month and listening to my show, that helps Christian women share their God stories so women around the world can hear them so they never feel alone. Friends, I love springtime. And here in Kansas City, we have lots of daffodils in bloom. Daffodils always remind me of Easter time and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, I have a few updates. Just before we bring to the mic our incredible guests, and that is that I had the honor of speaking at the PodFest Global 2023 virtual conference about how to build the best podcast team. And I had an incredible time of networking with other podcasters and speakers, and I wanted to give a big shout out to Chris Kermitsos, founder of PodFest Global and his team, Andrew Weiss, Lee Uera, and Wendy Brandt for their support. And friends, I hope I did pronounce their names right. Also, I've started my healing memoir book, Writing Journey, friends, and would love your support. All the proceeds of my book, when it gets published, will go to Altered Stories Ministry. I invite you, friends, to check out my personal timeline on Facebook for more details on how to best support my journey. And friends, I'm also still searching for a Altered Stories Ministry board secretary and board treasurer. If you're interested in either of these board volunteer roles, do check out my website at www.alteredstories.org. Now, Friends, it's time to get this show started. It's with great excitement that I introduce my special guest, Angela Paganelli, who is the founder 
of Foster Blessings. She's a wife and has over 20 foster children, has adopted four that include two children with special needs. Friends, she is also the author of an upcoming book, Foster Blessings, and the creator of the Foster Blessings blog and support group, and a podcast host herself of Fostering Our Faith podcast. Now, isn't that fabulous? So let's now bring her to the mic and get to know her. Welcome to the show, Angela. How are you? Doing great. And this is such an amazing honor. I just thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, we're honored to have you with us, Angela. It's always an honor to have Christian women share their God stories. And I know my listeners are going to love what you're going to be sharing. And before we get into the details of your story, I'd love to know if there was anything else that you'd like to share personally, you know, that you wouldn't talk about as part of your God story, but something, you know, that you want to share with my listeners about you or what's transpiring right now that I haven't. I think it's the beginning. The beginning of my story always kind of gets lost because so much of my life was in foster care and adoption, but the beginning was pretty crazy too. Um, I was born two months early in Miami Beach and I was well under two pounds At that time, in 1979, babies really did not survive. There wasn't the proper equipment. There was nothing that would sustain them. And so I was in the Miami Herald paper as Miracle Baby because not only did they sustain me, I wore a sock. Um, they, They cut off the bottom of a sock. And that's how I spent the first couple of weeks of my life. And I only recently found out, and I need to find this woman, that there's a Time Magazine article about a woman with the same exact story. And so I'm like blown away because I thought I was like the only one. Um, But that's like a cool little tidbit of like how my life started. (laughs) So I just like to share that, that, you know, like that's pretty rare. It's really amazing, actually. Maybe when we get your episode page up there and we're able to, you know, add different links and different, you know, pictures, maybe there's something that we could add in there. So the listeners can really grasp that. I mean, a a sock. Wow. You are itsy bitsy, tiny little baby. So it's so precious. I can't wait to talk more about what you're going to share. So Angela, as you know, I love to share women's transformational God stories. I would love to know what you think about the importance of sharing your God story with others. I know, you know, you call it your testimony. Many people do. I call it God's story. I mean, it is what it is. We give glory to God through it. But I would just love to kind of get from you why you think it's so important for women to share. I think that there is a an intersection when you meet somebody who has a similar story to yours you know, like if you grow up in foster care, you don't know what that's like if you didn't. And and being able to um, agree with somebody and, and say, okay, you know what? I did that too. I went through that. And here is how I dealt with it. Here is how, this is the outcome that came out of it. I think that is way, way more powerful than approaching somebody that you are just, your upbringings are just completely different. Like we're talking two totally different paths. And just to be able to relate with each other and to say, okay, you know what? 
yes, this happened. Absolutely. It happened to me too. And look, this is what God is doing in my life now. And I think that's just, that's the power of the testimony is being able to say, I've been there. I've done that. And that's such, to me, a picture of Jesus, you know, sacrificing for us and saying, I did that. I I went through pain. I went through suffering. I didn't have to, but I did. And now let me lead you through it. And I think that's just, I think that's super powerful. It is super powerful. And I love that, that alignment that you shared with how Jesus, you know, what he did and how he suffered and, you know, his story you know, around that. So I think that's so powerful. And I do know that he is so honored and blessed when we do give him glory through our journeys. And you've got a powerful one. So let's get started. And I always ask this question. And I'm going to ask you this now. And I'm going to say, Angela, where does your not just sells God's story begin. So I was seven when I moved to New York with my mother. We moved here because she was going to marry a wonderful man and it was going to be happy ever after. My biological father, she actually kidnapped me when I was two and hid me in Pennsylvania. I was homeschooled for kindergarten and most of first grade. She changed my name. Um, I'm assuming I'm on a milk carton out there somewhere. I later found out that my biological father looked for me. He came looking for me, but he was never able to find me. And so moving from seclusion, essentially, of just us and like very close family, moving to New York was just jarring. And I was put into public school, which I had never been in public school before. And it was a, it was a tumultuous time. I'll say that. There was a lot of drugs involved. There was a lot of drinking, arrests. My mother was very mentally ill. She was very physically ill. And so I ended up raising my sister who was eight years younger than me. I essentially became mom. I did the potty training. I did the cooking, cleaning, all of the things. As I get older and we're still into this lifestyle, battered women's shelters, things like that, we were actually at a shelter when our mom came in and she said, I'll be right back. I have an appointment. And I I just, it sat with me because she would never leave us in a place where there was danger. And of course, in a shelter, there's danger. And so we just, my sister and I looked at each other and like, you know, whatever. Um, Next thing I know, my aunt and uncle are walking up the walkway and she had had a stroke on the way to the doctors and was in a medically induced coma. So we were taken from tumultuous, but yet our mother, right? And we went to live with the Bel Air people, the Bel Air aunt and uncle who were incredibly wealthy and, you know, very well to do and just total culture shock. I mean, 100% culture shock. And the fact that they said yes to me is like the most beautiful thing on earth because they were retired. Their children were grown. They had this beautiful house and now they have a trauma filled 13 year old. And a five-year-old who does not understand anything because she was just raised by an eight, nine, 10-year-old. And so the fact that they said yes is just unbelievable to me. As we're living in this home and I'm going to school and for the first time I'm like normal, like I have like normal clothes, normal haircuts, my books are all in order. And I, I started to realize that I wanted my dysfunction back. I, I learned to thrive in dysfunction. And so I started running away. I was on pins. I was arrested, drugs, the whole, the whole nine. And I'm sitting in science class one day and I'm kind of checked out, you know, because my brain is all over the place. And I'm hearing the teacher go on and on and on about 
you know, the lightning struck the cells and the cells became a human or a chicken. I don't know. Anyway. So one thing he said was he said, look at the side of your hand. And he said, you have a bone protruding out of the side of your hand. That's a sixth finger that's growing. And that proves that evolution is true. And I remember I just snapped into it and was like, whoa, like if that was an accident, that lightning strike was an accident billions of years ago, then I'm an accident and I have no purpose whatsoever. And so I, that just changed my entire trajectory. I was like, you know what? I'm living for today. I don't have hope for tomorrow. I'm going to do what feels good in this moment. And so the arrest just escalated, cutting class. I mean, just, you know, it just went completely out of hand. And so that was really what started the whole not just cells thing. Because, you know, if you're sitting in a classroom, you have a teacher, you know, an authoritarian figure telling you that that's what you're made up of. You're going to believe that as a kid, especially a trauma-filled kid. You just accepted it. You just accepted what you heard. Right. And especially he's giving me proof. Right. Like he's saying, look at your own hand. Like that's proof that that you're evolving. And, you know, as a 13 year old girl, I don't know what exactly, you know, I just believed him. You know, I didn't really dig into the science of it all. And um, and at this time, I'm going to a different church semi regularly and I'm doing all the things that they're telling me to do. And yet I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm following all the steps, you know, they're saying, you know, pray this, do this, da, 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 da. And, and you will have religion. And I'm asking the questions, like I'm doing these things. Number one, how long do they last for? Because, you know, I just stubbed my toe and cursed in my head. Am I good? Like, do I go back and do that again? Um, you know, and all these questions, like were swirling about religion with me at the same time. And so it was just easy to embrace this science fact that they had given me and say, okay, that makes sense. And that now allows me to live however I want to live. How did that get received by your aunt and uncle? I mean, they just let you do whatever you wanted to do and you just ran wild? No, I mean, and so my uncle was a retired police detective from New York City. I mean, like you could not get anything past this man. (laughs) He was like stone guard, but like they're in their 60s. You know, they, they really are far removed from children. And so they put us in therapy. And you know, I remember lying to the therapist and being like, oh yes, I see a rose in the ink blot. And last night I had dreams about butterflies. And you know, I wasn't really going to open up to a stranger and tell them all the things and the dreads and the fears that I'm feeling. And so they tried as much as they could, you know, like I said, they got us therapy. Um, they would put us in programs and things like that. But the overarching issue is that when I was even home, I was still parentifying my sister, you know, like you ask me to go places, you know, I wasn't about to give that control to somebody who could mess it up basically. And so not that they would, because they were phenomenal, but I just didn't trust enough. And so, and I think back to like one of our first nights there and what we did was my sister and I are getting ready. Now, meanwhile, we never had bedtime. We never had like lights out kind of thing, especially not at 8, 830 at night. You know, we were up till 12, one o'clock in the morning, watching movies, eating popcorn. And so my aunt's like, okay, time for bed. And she's trying to put us in separate rooms, which we had never slept apart and in the dark. And so I'm going to my sister and I'm like, sleep against your wall. And I can't even watch the first like 10 minutes of Frozen without just being a blobbing mess. Um, But that's what we did against the wall, her on one side, me on the other. And just knowing that that was just that thin 
you know, sheetrock between us um, was enough to kind of comfort that first night. Um, but little things like that, that, you know, it shapes your life. It shapes how you view things, you know. Um, and of course, our aunt didn't know. She had no idea that how we had slept, you know, or, or she was just doing the normal mom thing and putting the kids to bed. And so um, lots of lots of life changing moments in those years. Did you ever go to church with your aunt then or did they take you? So did you, you know, did you, when did you come to a, a recognition of the need for your faith and your life? I mean, you know, catch us up. So I'm 16 years old now. I have been homeless for probably about a year, uh, sleeping at friends' houses, behind diners, in old garages, um, just, you know, anywhere I could. And I knew that my family went away at a certain time of summer every single year. They went away for one weekend religiously. And I'm like, I just need to shower. I just want food. And I just want to sleep in a bed. So I took a boulder and I threw it through their downstairs glass doors. And I got in. And I then continued to destroy the house that I grew up in. Um, I, I left, my aunt had these very expensive white chairs in the sitting room and I took food out and I left them on the chairs, not thinking. And so the food got all into the chairs and, um, drank all the alcohol in the house and just, just destroyed the place basically. And then I left a note said, sorry about the mess. Love Angie and walked out. Uh, So needless to say, within a couple of days, I was in handcuffs and I was brought before the same judge again. And he gave me an ultimatum and he said, "Okay, you can go to juvie for X amount of time or you can go to this program up in Lakemont, New York for one year. You choose. And I was like, well, I've heard things about juvie and I don't know anything about this program. So I'm going to go to the program. And it turns out it was a Christian home for troubled teens. I did not know that. I did not know what I was going into. I just knew it was better than the alternative. And so I'll never forget. I pull into this place. And, you know, I'm expecting like, um, I can't remember the name of the show, but there was like a show where like the sergeants would get into like the troubled kids faces and like scream at them. And like, this is what I'm picturing. I'm picturing, I'm going to, I'm going to have to fight here. I'm going to have to fight people. It's going to be bad. And these girls are in dresses and like clog shoes and stockings. And I'm like, this does not add up to what I'm, (laughs) to what I'm like picturing in my head. But, you know, I had all my garments searched. They took away all of my music and it was... And in a sense, it was a cult. It 100% was a cult. You ended up becoming staff after your year. I stayed for four years in the one-year program. Um, you and, and But everything is cut off, including for staff. Every single thing was cut off from the outside. There was no newspapers, no music, no radio, no television, nothing. It was just you on this campus. And the one thing that I, I say when I talk about this place, because it has since been shut down, there are many, many lawsuits But the one thing I will say about this is that it saved me. I went there a mess and it saved me. There was what's called wood pile, where you would pick up a piece of wood, carry it 30 feet, put it down, pick up another piece, carry it the other way, put it down. And you would do this for hours and hours every day. If you got into trouble, if you did not empty your garbage, if you did not make your bed. But this was the discipline that I needed in my life that I didn't know I needed. And so... I flourished because they said, jump this high. And I did. And I knew what was expected of me. And so I did very, very well at this program. And then one day I'm sitting in this particular church service and 
uh, Phillips, Craig and Dean, they were singing, um, not them, but the worship team was singing Mercy Came Running. And I'm just sitting there and I have these like, and I, as I'm talking about it, I have chills. I can't even listen to that song without crying. But the whole sermon was about how God, the father sent his son to die and that God, the father wanted me as a daughter. And now here I am. My mother has now passed away and I'm, I'm realizing I'm an orphan and that's what I've been looking for my entire life is this God, the father to come find me, to come chase me down. And I just sat there and I just, I was leaning forward. I just wanted to hear what he was saying so bad. And aside from all the other murky stuff of this place, I say it all the time. Churches are going to disagree. Christians are going to disagree about a lot of stuff. But the one thing we can't disagree about is the cross. And that was the one message that they had spot on. They were a hundred percent spot on about salvation and the cross. And so I sat there and they said, okay, you know, walk up to the front. If you have decided that you want to give your life to the Lord. And I ran, I like, I just, I couldn't get there fast enough. And I just remember falling down to my knees and just sobbing and being like, this is it. Like, this is finally what I have been looking for, for 16 and a half years of my life. This is what I, I just, I need. And I just, I walked away. And from that moment on, totally different person, completely different person, because now I wasn't cells. I was created. And if I was created, that means I have a purpose. That means I was created for something. So now this is totally flipped the script. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have passion. I have hope. And now I can even give that out to people. I can like tell other people about this. And so, I mean, just total 100% change and all 100% the Lord. You know, that's so precious. I mean, I am, I know God knew that you were his before you were even in your mother's womb and he chose you and you didn't know it. It took where you were and to get you in a place of complete constraint and focus and, you know, where you couldn't really couldn't do anything other than make it work, right? I mean, he, I mean, you, you kind of wore your welcome out, right? I mean, you, you were with your aunt and uncle and, you know, I'd love to know, did your sister leave or what happened with her? In, I mean, did she, I, I know this is your story, not your sister's story, but I mean, did you stay in touch with her? You know, that, I mean, because it sounds like you two were really close. So, uh, yep. So she stayed and I, I'm glad that I left because the impact I was having on her, you know, obviously she's you know, six, seven years old. She's watching her sister get arrested and I'm being home by the being brought home by the cops. And, you know, so it had a huge impact on her today. We're like best friends. Um, and that would not have happened because there's no way a foster home, <laughs> very little chance that a foster home would have taken in myself and her at the same time. We definitely would have been split up if my aunt and uncle had not said yes. Are, are you close to your aunt and uncle to this day or? My aunt just passed um, very, actually very, very suddenly she got COVID and she was battling breast cancer. Um, but as I'm at her house, you know, with my uncle, I am opening up the cabinet and I see she's got a cabinet full of linens. And I'm like, I have a cabinet full of linens. And I opened up her hutch and she's got all these plates. And I'm like, I have all the plates. 
and I'm just seeing a mirror of myself come out in all these different areas, you know, and, and I just stood there and I was like, what an impact this woman had on me, even though, I mean, you know, in my adult life, she was much more present, but, you know, as a teen, like just not giving up, you know, never once did she say like, we don't want you like get out, get out, get out. Never once as much as I put them through never once. And so, you know, just, just seeing the legacy that she left in me, just very powerful, very. And for her to see where God took you and where you are. I mean, what a story for her too. I mean, so yeah, I, I will say, Angela, that I, I think the ministry that God brought you to in this fostering, I mean, Will you share just a little bit, since you have 20 foster children, how how did you get drawn to that? I mean, what what brought you to that in your life? So in between living with my aunt and uncle and going to Freedom Village, um, which only maybe five years ago did I realize that I literally spent my entire teen years in care. It really didn't dawn on me, you know, between institutional and foster homes and my aunt and uncle. Like I, I, I never really thought about it like that. You know, it just, that was just how it was, but I did, that was how I, you know, spent the second half of my teenage or my um, childhood. And my sister essentially spent her entire life in there because they, she was never officially adopted, you know, so she just lived in kinship care her whole life. And so In between living with my aunt and uncle and going to Freedom Village, um, I was put into what I now know was a therapeutic foster home. And this woman, I walk in, you know, I'm a terrified teenager. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I am. And I walk in and she just kind of got in my face and she was like, this is yours. You know, this living room, it's yours. I'm going to show you where the towels are. Um, Let me show you how to use the water in the fridge. You know, like just instantly disarming me, like got down into my face and was like, we're good. We're good with you here. And it, and it really just like relaxed me, you know, as I walked in, I remember just being like, wow, like, okay, I'm going to be okay here. Uh, I stayed there for about two weeks and every night her and her husband would sit in the living with me and they would talk about my story. And they actually spent a ton of money trying to find my biological father um, through like 1-800-US-SEARCH or whatever, whatever it was back then. Um, but the impact that they made on me because they never had children of their own. And because it was a therapeutic foster home, it wouldn't have been smart for me to be there with other children. So they, that was just their continual cycle was that they would take these kids in who were having super bad issues and keep them until they went to their next, whatever, to their next placement. And so, but just the, just the impact that they had on me that, you know, for no reason of their own, they did this, you know, like they didn't have to do this. They, they did this willingly. And so years later, my husband and I talked about foster care. We always talked about foster care. Um, you know, I think every couple at some point, you know, they watch a movie or, you know, and it comes up. But we were talking about it this one night. And that morning, a woman in my church had come up to me and she said, I had a dream that you had a little boy. Now we were dealing with infertility and I left that church service angry. And I was like, no, no, you don't just walk up to somebody. This is like not, you know, we know better now, right, as women. And so that night we're talking about foster care or whatever. And I happened to Google Dutchess County Family Services and her name popped up because she was the liaison between the foster families and the birth families. And I was like, sorry, God. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You know, and the next morning I called 
wasn't even halfway through my sentence and they were like, gonna send you a packet. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, like just they're desperate for people. And I got the packet and I put it in my desk because it's a packet. It's a lot of information. And I just put it in my desk and every now and again, I'd pull it out and I'd look at it and hum and haw and put it back in the desk. You know, um, my sister-in-law says to me, hey, let's go to a concert. I'm like, okay. And it was John Waller. Um, he sings While I'm Waiting from the movie Fireproof. And it's the whole song is about waiting for his adoption of his kids from overseas. And his entire concert was about adoption, how they had adopted. I think it was like nine children at the time. I think it's even more now. And I just left there crying. And I was like, I need to do this. I know. And I came home and I said to my husband, and he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I don't really like to fill out paperwork. That's why I haven't really started. You know, So I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And so we, within maybe a week and a half, two weeks, we had the packet filled out. We sent it in. And before I knew it, we were in foster care classes and it was just that easy. We were sitting there for our first class. And one of the first exercises that they did was they turned the lights like really low and they said, okay, we want you to close your eyes and we want you to pretend that there's a knock on the door and you're a kid and you're being taken from your parents. What do you bring with you? And I actually, I had to leave the room because I, I knew what that felt like. I knew, you know, those first couple of nights, like the, the unfamiliar feelings and things like that. And, but it was so powerful. So yeah, that, that was really the beginning of our foster care journey. And I will say that my husband and I went into this and we jokingly now say, okay, you know, we can help one little kid. We can, sure, we can do that. No problem, one little kid, just one, that's fine. And like you said, we've had 20 plus, um, we've actually had to take pictures. It's it's horrible. We actually forget, I'm like, which one was this? Which one was this? Because it, there were so many over eight years. Um, but, and we have four adoptions now. Two of them are, um, they have special needs, one as autism, and the other one was born addicted to opioids. So he has what's called neonatal abstinence syndrome. And we're pretty sure he has fetal alcohol syndrome as well. We're um, information that I'm getting from family members and stuff. We're pretty sure that he has fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, awesome little kids. Awesome. But it's a lot. It is a whole, whole lot. And one of the things that came out of this was our son that's on the spectrum loves church. I mean, he adores church. It's like his like second home. And so I was in the nursery one day, he was about three and I had to go out and do a, a singing bit with the kids on the other children's church class. And I came back and the room is awkward and there's a kid crying. Justin had not aggressively, but just overstimulated scratched the kid's face. And I realized Traditional children's church and nursery workers do not understand kids that are, have special needs. They just don't, they're not going to get it. They don't live in it. I wouldn't expect them to get it. I didn't get it before I had these two kiddos. And so my husband and I started what is called All In. It is a special needs children's church curriculum that is an eight-week repeating cycle. And basically what it is, is we are playing The Floor is Lava. And then we're going to do a lesson and then we're going to play basketball and then we're going to memorize a Bible verse. And it is a constant movement where the kids do not have to sit for that traditional 45 minutes with scissors, with glue. This would not be a good plan. So we understand that there are just kids who can't do it. And we have had in the last nine months since it's really rolled out, we've had five kids in all in. Every single kid has been adopted. 
Well, that's very awesome because you're making a difference, not only in finding homes for these kids that need it and bringing them into a Christian uh, home and then reaching out and doing that and helping the churches to better understand and the people that work in the churches. I mean, what a need. You know, I mean, I don't know how many foster children there are out there that need adopting. I mean, I'm I'm not versed in your world, but I can imagine with COVID and, you know, other things that have transpired that that has grown, you know, and with what's occurred in Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian children and, you know, I mean, some of the refugees, I'm sure that you all are seeing a mix. Absolutely. And, and the crazy part is that, so before, when I left the village, I left with my at the time boyfriend and technically I was an aged out foster youth. That's where like a a person who is in the foster care system or institutionalized reaches an age where they're no longer viable within that home or within that system. And so they leave. And when I left, I didn't have any resources because remember, I had no contact with the outside world and I, I had been there for four years. So we're talking like, I don't know anything that's happening in the world. And so I left with my boyfriend and we go to this church to get counseling because I don't have money for a house. I have no place to live except for with him, which obviously in a Christian relationship is not going to work. So the pastor's idea was get married. That's not a good plan when you have spent six hours with this person over the last six months and you don't know this person outside of that particular environment. So he ended up being um, not the one um, and I was apparently not the one for him. Uh, Yes. So after the birth of my daughter, he ended up leaving and um, was with other people. And so Um, the, you know, the birth of my daughter was, was huge for me and not so much for him, unfortunately. And so that's where I, that's where a lot of the youth are ending up too, is, you know, they're, they're aging out of these homes. So they're leaving the homes, they're ending up homeless. They're ending up in, you know, bad relationships on bad people's couches. Human trafficking for these kids is huge because they just go. They just want that relationship so bad that they will just go, which I get. I totally, that was me. And so, and this was after becoming a Christian. I, I had that, that solid foundation and I still was, you know, a mess at that, with that, in that arena. And so, um, after, during that time of dating him, I was supposed to go to the Ukraine and work in the orphanages. I was learning the language. I was learning the culture. I was in New York City at the in the Ukrainian churches, you know, helping out, just immersing myself. And so when it came down to it, it was either go to the Ukraine or marry him. And I chose him. And so when I see the things that are going on in Ukraine, like my heart just like drops. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I know it is a poor country. I know the orphanages are way, way overrun because of Chernobyl still to this day because multi-generational defects are still happening. And it like it just breaks my heart. It really does. You hear, too, of what Putin is doing to some of the Ukrainian children. And, you know, your heart breaks. You know, you know you're hearing that through media. I mean, you, we, we don't know all the details or anything, but, you know, the vulnerability of children. And so... 
your ministry and what you're doing is so key and so needed. And the fact that you're giving of yourself and your experience and taking that and turning that for good to glorify God and to make a difference is so huge, Angela. And did your husband, did he come out of foster care too? Was Or was he not in foster care? Uh, no, he wasn't in foster care, but he, his story is, it's up there. <laughs> is it? um, he was, yeah, he was, he was a drug addict on the city of Poughkeepsie streets. I mean, jail time left, right. And um, he, he was, he was, yeah, <laughs> his testimony is pretty cool too, but he is not the kind of person to go on camera. <laughs> yeah. Not like the no. <laughs> and some people, they just, that's just not their jam. And it's not, I mean, but you know, you, you, you do have a ministry and there's such a need. And I am assuming that your book Foster Blessings is part of that. And so as we wrap, you know, this conversation up, yeah, I would love for you to share with my listeners a little bit about your book and your podcast. Okay. And then um, we can talk a little bit more before we end, but, you know, I just want to make sure that people you know, can understand what you're doing and how they, how they can get involved. You know, we had a little girl, she was two and she got here around 1130 at night, maybe. And we didn't know much. All we knew was that she had gotten sick in the car because she was so traumatized from being taken from her mother. So we kind of kept the lights low, you know, bathed her. I mean, diaper rash from back to bottom, like horrible, horrible, horrible. But she wouldn't go in the crib. And so I sat in our living room with her and, you know, she's like that. Right. And so I sat in my living room with her and just kind of rubbed her hair and she fell asleep. And the next morning, the light, we have giant windows and the lights coming in through the windows. And I looked down and there's bugs. And as quickly as I could, I put her on a stool, I give her a cookie, you know, and I'm like calling her pediatrician. I'm like, what is happening? She had had lice six times that year and was immune to all medication. And so I'm out in my yard for two weeks, nitpicking, literally nitpicking. And my neighbor brings me a meal and I'm like, oh, that's kind of genius. Okay, hold on. So I went to my elder board. I'm like, listen, you know, when a family in our church has a baby, there's meal trains, there's baby showers. There's like all the things, right? Like we are like 100% for that family. But my neighbor got a foster baby, a foster baby. And it was like crickets. And I was like, mm, mm, hold on, <laughs> we're doing something wrong here. So I was like, why don't we start meals and bringing meals out to people in our county who are taking in foster children? Well, this blew up. I mean, this was, I, I thought we were going to have like, I don't know, six meals a year. But I mean, we're getting calls all the time from DCFS, foster families themselves now who are like acquainted with our ministry. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing to watch. Um, on top of that, we had a meeting where we said, okay, we're bringing the meals, we bring diapers, we bring wipes, you know, um, paper plates, plastic forks. So it's all no prep, no cleanup, three days. But my sister and I were in care. And one of the first nights we had salmon and spinach. And we're like, well, we're going to die here. So an important thing to me is that the kids get like foods that they know. So we decided that we were going to do pizza the first night the kids are in placement. So we order a pizza. We get in touch with all of our churches in the area and see who's closest, see who's available to do the delivery the next day. 
And like I said, the kids are, you know, looking at us like, oh, you're bringing us food, you're bringing us this, whatever, but you're not bringing anything for me. So somebody had the idea of treasure boxes. And this is just colorful, cool boxes from Hobby Lobby that are filled with age-appropriate items, but it's also a place to keep like, you know, the necklace that mom gave me. And that's my box, you know, um, a book that I was given. That's my box, you know, but it is like, you know, hygiene items, socks, journals, you know, for kids like squishables and slime and all the things that kids love. But it's it's a very personal thing for them. And, and it's a very personal space for them to keep their stuff in. Um, and then we started adoption parties where if you adopt in our county, you bring your family, your friends to church, we have a giant cake that's designed just for you. There's coffee, there's tea, there's fellowship afterwards. We give them a cool present and the elders take a time during the service to pray for them. And I mean, just things upon things have just grown with this ministry. You know, we have a huge foster care picnic every year. Uh, we're doing a retreat in July, uh, which I'm super excited about. And um, just all, all different things that the Lord has like put into the path of this that we said meals <laughs> and he's like so much more. Um, and so that's when I'm, as I'm growing this and as the Lord is growing this, we're going into other States. And my, my issue is that I don't want people, I don't want Christians to find out through social media that I am divorced. I don't, I don't ever want them to be like, Oh, wait a minute, put the brakes on this, you know? And so I was like, I need to write a book and I need to explain to people what the heart of this ministry is. I need to explain that, you know, this is the reason that I'm divorced. I do not condone it. Um, you know, and this is, this is how it transpired and tell my story about how we, you know, have these children and how we adopt them. And Hey, guess what? You guys can do it too. Your church can support foster care too. All you need is a freezer and people who can drive and who love children. <laughs> like that's all you need. And, and it's all about relationships. So this one woman, you know, I'm there and she's a grandmother. 80 something years old. She just took in her grandkids. She has to get fingerprinted. So we're on the website getting her set up to get fingerprinted or like I've had, you know, delivery team people go in and just hold an NAS baby like Roman, who, if they get put down, they scream and she just wants to clean off her counters. So they're standing, they're bouncing this NAS baby, you know, and they're, they're helping this mom, but it's about getting into the world of James 127 to visit these people, to help these people. And coming soon. Foster blessings for widows. Um, you know, let's bring a meal. Let's bring some flowers. Let's sit for 15 minutes, a half an hour and talk and fellowship because now I see my uncle, you know, and, and he's lost without my aunt and he needs that companionship that is now missing. And so, so much more than just, than just meals. And the Lord is just doing so many cool things through it. Well, it's so awesome to hear this. I'm so honored, Angela, that we could help you and get your message out there. And I know there's so many people out there that want to be part of what you're doing. And they want to help these children who are so broken and so wounded of no fault of their own, many of them. And they're so vulnerable and being Jesus to them. And, you know, those that care, I mean, you all are heroes. You are an absolute hero. Doing what you're doing and getting your children involved and, your, you know, your church, your neighbors, writing this book, doing all the things that you're doing. I just really am praying that people's hearts will be touched because, I mean, I don't tear up. And when you were just telling me some of what you were, I mean, I was just starting to tear up. I mean, my heart, you know, and that little girl that you had to 
old, sobbing. I mean, this is just heartbreaking. You know, I I just want to make sure that we share with the listeners just, you know, how we can best support you and all the great work that you're doing because these kids, they need hundreds of people like you. Well, that is the goal is to get, is to call the church into foster care because we're almost commanded in James to be a part of this, you know, the church as a body and not everybody can foster, you know, not everybody can adopt. And, but Everybody can do something. Everybody can make a meal. Everybody can, you know, offer to babysit. I mean, that that's our big thing is finding somebody to babysit two special needs kids. Like it's really hard, you know, especially somebody that we would trust to like literally 24 seven eyes on them. And so, you know, it's not like the traditional kid where you can just say, okay, go play outside. You know, like these Roman goes out of our windows, you know, and, and he'll be lost within 10 minutes if we're not careful. Um, and so that, that I'm, I'm like churches, Let's do this. Let And I picture my 13-year-old self standing in my aunt and uncle's living room and the church came to my door, brought me stuff and are praying for me. How would that have changed how I viewed the church? How would that have changed religion in my eyes that you stood there and you prayed for me and I heard you do that? That, that to me is one of the most powerful parts of this is that these kids see the church showing up and they see, and then not only did we show up there, Hey, by the way, come to our picnic next week, or, you know, Hey, join our support group or, you know, and we had stuff in the works for, um, you know, things that aged out children, things like that, that we're like super excited. That's coming down the pipeline that, but just all the things that the church should be doing for foster kids. And it's all, all in James. Yeah. Well, hopefully this will get this story and what you're sharing will get out there to many, many, and it'll be fruitful and you'll be able to build relationships with some churches and giving them more information. So do share, would you please, how to best reach you. Yep. So there's going to be a QR code on this um, podcast that leads you to all of our social media, our blog, all of the wonderful things. But really, we work heavily through Instagram and it's foster underscore blessings EFC for Evangelical Free Church. That's really the best way to get to us is through, um, is through Instagram, a little bit of Facebook and Twitter, but I'm not savvy. And so um, Instagram is the way to go other than our QR code. And the QR code does have um, Calendly on it. So, you know, if you want to talk to me for 15, 20 minutes, just sign up on there and it'll come to my phone and we'll have a wonderful Zoom or phone conversation. So, okay. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, in closing, is there anything else that you might want to share with a listener? It's just maybe there's some couple out there and they're just on the verge of making a decision on being foster parents or there's a foster child that maybe they're not well they'd be awfully young if they were listening to this but maybe coming out of that or they're aging out you know or whatever any just any last words before we wrap up yeah so i would say if you're on the verge of foster care take it easy you know, you don't have to jump into it with both feet. There's lots of podcasts. There's lots of information now out there. And just go sit with your Duchess or your family services. Go sit in the office. They will gladly have you come in and do a question and answer kind of thing, you know, and, and talk to other foster parents on Facebook. There's tons of groups. You can just put in foster parents in my area and just go on these groups and just see what the people are saying. Because one quick story is that they were... um 
we had a little girl that we knew was leaving in three weeks. She left that night and I sobbed my eyes out so horribly, but got up the next morning in pure joy that we were adopting our son. So foster care is the entire gamut, but it's totally worth it. Great closing words. Thanks, Angela, again, for your time and sharing your God story with my listeners. And I know this is going to bless so many, and I can't wait to share it. So friends, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have this episode up on our website and all of Angela's information will be up there too. And until the next show, friends, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org. 